For lots of World War II reenactors, pushing yourself out of your comfort zone usually means spending a sleepless night under a damp Zeltmann. But if you're looking for something more extreme, this next episode is definitely one for you. We're going to be talking to the man behind Project Edelweiss, recreating the life of German Gebirgsjäger mountain troops high in the European Alps, taking on snow, ice, sometimes treacherous climbs, and sub-zero temperatures to create a truly challenging and unique World War II reenactment experience. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Reenactors Corner podcast. This is Chris here again with a special guest. Today, we are going to be talking to Bruno, who was the founder of the Project Edelweiss reenactment. Bruno, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you a lot. Thanks to to you. And I'm really glad to uh, to take part. Well, we're really we're really glad that you could come on. Um, I guess. Why don't we just start off by having you talk a little bit about, you know, your background, tell us where you're from and how you got interested in World War II and in World War II reenacting. Yeah, so um, I really would like to, to, to thank before I'm going to forget the um, uh, Logi from Iceland that uh, who made the connection between the, the reenactors corner team and, and I and, uh, and really a, a huge thanks to, to, to him. Um, about myself, um, I'm, I'm 35 years old, uh, initially from France. I've done my studies in Sweden and moved later uh, to Switzerland in 2009. I'm a mountain lover. I started to climb when I was a teenager. Uh, I had great mentors <laughs> and uh, my first trip was over 3,500 meters. Uh, in the French Alps when I was 16 and my mentors told me let's go higher and I said yes without really knowing their idea and a few weeks later I ended up on on top of Mont Blanc for my second summit of my life so (laughs) it was quite a good start and and later I I, I, um, I've been climbing in in France, Switzerland, Italy even Yukon in in, in the Kluani Park close to, to Alaska and and later in Nepal, where I've uh, I went four times with summit experiences above uh, five thousand meters, six thousand meters. No idea about the feet. I think it's something like eighteen or seventeen thousand feet. Yeah, I don't know. The uh, I know that the mountains in Nepal are really big. So uh, I'll, I think that's you know most for most people, how many thousand feet probably uh, has no no meaning. You know, but uh, clearly that's like a a really big mountain yeah and 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 then about reenactment well i've i started quite early i've i've almost 20 years of reenactment stories i started around 15 um and i've i've went through quite different impressions but um all of them linked to mountains um i've went through u.s army first with the 10 mountain division also the first special service force. Uh, then I moved to German GBC ski Jägers, and also uh, French resistance in, in Vercors, as well as uh, pure civilian reenactment. So pure civilian hiking uh, event or skiing event. 
so it, it was quite a mix of um, units and impressions but um, uh, always connected to this sportive approach and 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 having the mountains uh somewhere <laughs> around so i guess uh just for people who who don't know about this if there's anyone out there who hasn't heard of uh the project edelweiss reenactment event that you founded why don't you tell us about how long ago it was that you started it and uh you know what what your initial idea was and how you made that happen yeah so <clears throat> it's it's quite a projected advice is is a kind of summary of my own interest uh, kind a uh, combination of military history interest mountain and sport uh, my first test was in 2007 it was just um, a vintage civilian mountain trip um, just to experience in a different way uh, previous mountain trips i've done with modern equipment modern gear and I discovered the mountain environment in another way, and uh, I started to to really like it. Um, then, it was such an interesting experience that I wanted to share uh, it with other passionate people. And in 2009, I launched uh, a public call on a forum in, in Europe, uh, and only few people believed in my project and, and came for the very first edition. The objective was to do just a um, hike, a training hike, uh, in, in middle or high altitude, um, in full Gebirgsjäger impression, just to, to test the, the equipment, to experience the, the, the trip in a different way. And I got uh, only four uh, participants. Um, one was from Spain, Albert. And, and later, after the few pictures done during this first event, I got a huge support from uh, Patrick Kaiser, uh, who is a, a huge collector of um, Gebirgsjäger stuff in the US. Um, and he, he kept promoting and supporting the initiative through the, the webpage and the forums. And then, I, thanks to him, I, I started to be taken in a serious way and um, I increased years after year the, the number of participants. Um, so about really the concept and the mission of Project Edelweiss um, as a project is, is, is a unique and temporary initiative uh, which is quite different from running a group. I, I could start a group in Switzerland or in France and, 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 and doing reenactment but I wanted to have something unique and I told myself, okay, maybe I'm going to have only one edition, maybe two edition, maybe three maximum, and then we, <laughs> we give up. And, and, and this project approach allowed, allowed me to, to, to get this international dimension because as individuals or as a group, uh, people and, and reenactors can take part to, to it. Um, so this agile process, um, this uh, iterative improvement approach allowed me to, to perform and to fine-tune the concept of projected advice years after years. I was able to adjust or, or balance the difficulty level, hiking hours, uh, sleeping in the refuge or in the bivouac, um, changing um, the instruction activities and, and then to, to learn from previous editions to improve the, the coming ones without knowing the, the, the participants, even if 
we have created a kind of community and family and, and the, the turnover is not so huge. So um, we have some people that um, take part of projected advice for a few years now. That's really cool. Is it something that you've done every year since you started it, or how many of these have, have you guys done? So <laughs> when I was young and, and not father yet, <laughs> I, I was used to do it uh, once every year uh, from 2009 to 2013. And then in 2013, no, in 2012, sorry, 2012, I had a, a large group of um, guys from Ukraine who uh, take a car? They, they took a car for three days to to drive to Switzerland and to join the event just for. So, th- at, at, at the end, six days of driving for three days of events, and uh, and I told myself if I want to bring people from outside, but I mean Russia, uh, U.S., Canada, Ukraine, I I need to to uh, to have this uh, every two years and and to to really keep the people involved in in the preparation and and to make sure that it is not like uh, it's not something usual it should be something exceptional and every two years is is the quite right tempo to um to to involve people internationally and and to have a yeah just the the people to save money and 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 to and and to to take place to to take part to to the event. Um, the the mission of of the event is really to um, to offer to the participant a, a unique period, high altitude experience, uh, to to learn from the others because it's a huge opportunity to meet all around the world uh, different uh, people. I got. Uh, um, participants from uh, Switzerland, France, Iceland, Netherlands, Luxembourg, Czech Republic, uh, Slovakia, Poland, Hungary, Russia, uh, United States, Sweden, Ukraine, Italy, Spain, Germany, UK, and Japan. <laughs> so um, it's 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 really a, a beautiful opportunity to meet other people um, sharing the same uh, hobby and 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 approach. And it is also to, to, to create strong emotions. Um, and I, I think this is the key point of projected advice. It's not just a, a reenactment event. It, it, it creates emotion. You, you, you live ad- adventures, and, and sometimes with good or with the bad weather, but at the end you, you end up with some pain and some good moments, but at least pain creates souvenirs, so uh, it's not always bad. That's a great it, idea. It's, it's, it's really... It's really the um, an approach of reenactment. Um, we can have, have we can have different definitions, uh, thousand definitions, uh, but I've mine and I, I I've been making it concrete through projected device editions. Um, it's not an event where you could pretend to represent GBS Jaegers. You do experience it in high altitude with the same period equipment, the same period environment, the same period challenges. And and it's a, it's a way for me to to, I mean for me the best way to pay an honor to this uh, exceptional man, and, and to get a better idea of of the climbing period conditions. So um, I will say it's first a sportive event and then secondary uh, living history uh, event. That's a really interesting approach. 
you know, I don't, I don't know very much about mountaineering or, or mountain gear, but I have to assume that modern equipment must be very, very different from the equipment that was in use in World War II. Is that correct? Um, yes and no. Um, I will say the two main, no, the three main differences, if you take the German army at this time, is related to um, fighting or being resistant to humidity, rain. Uh, so you can forget about uh, uh, Gore-Tex stuff, and and you need to to uh, trust your your vin jacket uh, well uh, waxed. Um, this is first point to 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 face humidity. Um, the second point is the weight. That's for sure. Compared to the modern gear, uh, you you really need to be. Uh, a stronger man to do exactly the same summit with modern gear, uh, with the vintage one. So, yeah, that's the second point. And the third one is more related to the alpine techniques. And I will say the huge difference is you don't have uh, an harness and you need to, to rope yourself uh, on your chest. That could be quite risky when you have a jump or, or a shock. Um, because you you might break some uh, I don't know how to say this in English. Uh, yeah, ribs. ribs. That sounds painful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so th th there are the only three key points. So you uh, fighting humidity, the weight to be managed, and and um, this uh, security reason. But for the rest, I'm I'm using uh, hemp rope, but modern hemp roped. Um, made from synthetical hemp, so uh, from a security point of view, uh, we have almost the same uh, the same condition that more modern mountain running expect this uh, ribs issue or risk uh, related to a to to a jump or a fall. Why did you decide to go with uh, German Kebirgsjäger reenacting for this project and not maybe um, the American Tenth Mountain Division or or something else that you were interested in? That it's an excellent question. Um, it is not because of the design <laughs> or the reputation. It's <laughs> it's more related to um, the um, equipment at this time. If you compare the different armies, you you can forget everything related to civilians. I I started to collect uh, civilian mountain stuff, ice axe, crampons, etc. and and at this time, it wasn't it wasn't yet really uh, democratized. So then you you switch to army in order to to have the the best innovation at this time. And and when you look at the different armies, the Germans they were the best one. Um, I, I can give you a few example. Not during the entire war, but at the, during the pre-war, during the end of the thirties, they were the best one. Um, the U.S. end up the war with the best equipment, but you had a Petzel, so that doesn't doesn't count. You had a, an advantage uh, uh, in terms of innovation, but in 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 terms of um, crampons, for example, all the armies were using still the ten point crampons, so all of them are uh, vertical crampons pick, and um, in 1938. The Nordfels Eiger was uh, climbed um, by a team uh, using the new German 12-point uh, crampons with the two crampons front 
that allow you to uh, to climb on 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 slopes that uh, are really really uh, uh, impressive. So few few techniques in terms of uh, roping, uh, shorter ice hacks. There are there are um, the German army is the first army that started to short the um, the size the the of the ice axe to to have it um, la- really interesting. lighter. Yeah, and and if you compare, I, I, I don't have a ranking of of the army, but I know the U.S. one end up with the best equipment at the end of the war. But at the starting time, the German army uh, got the best equipment and the best instructor. You need to remember that France and Germany provided the best climbers after the war. And um, most of them were trained in a military way during the war. And after the war, most of them came to expedition to Nepal because it was still a bit nationalist uh, um, adventure and, and, and initiatives from the different countries post-war and, and you can find a lot a lot of, 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 uh, of exceptional climbers um, and this focus about uh, the, the school and, and not having a fighting units and just having an event related to the school during 1939 uh, um, in, in uh, Flimpes in, in Tyrol in it's, it was in order to really pay an honor to this climber that survived because of the school they were really excellent instructors and they survived through the war and then they were able to continue um, the education the promotion of 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 the alpine club and and having such a a great expedition in in himalaya for their own uh, country that's really interesting um you mentioned ice axes and crampons. Um, how much original stuff do you guys have to use um, to kind of recreate the uh, experience of the Gebirgsjäger? I will say almost none. <laughs> we have crampons wow. can be original, ice axe as well, but it's not advised because it's not about a public event or something like. Um, we are not playing soldiers, and and it's not a museum, so we really need to use and trust the equipment. So and sometimes you can you can just break it. So um, we we have some alternatives using civilian ice axe or Swiss Army ice axe in order to uh, cry a bit less if you if you break it. But mainly from the original stuff, we have crampons, uh, most of the insignia. For sure, the the Edelweiss, but also the the cloth insignia looks um, look much better uh, original, and um, and that's it. Oh yeah, uh, one important point is the the rucksack. The rucksack. Most of the participants uh, have an original. For the first time this year, uh, we got two guys using reproduction, but. They are not at at the sufficient level to to be uh, um, to be used. Not in terms of um, resistance; they are fully resistant in terms of weight, but that that don't look good enough for the moment. So we are all of them using original M thirty one rucksack, um, and we can put a lot of stuff, a lot of weight, and and they are still resistant. So it's uh, it's German quality, let's say. Have you made changes over the years to the 
uniform and equipment list, the kit that you require people to bring, or have you kind of stayed uh, similar to where where you were at back when you got started in terms of uh, of what the requirements are for the uniform stuff? Yeah, we'll always improve, and and um, the the first impression was really focused on the M thirty six impression in terms of uniform. Uh, but uh, using the um, 39 reg- regulation because the Edelweiss insignia came in the in the German army only in April 39 so it was a mix of 36 uh, classic uniform uh, but at the period of 1939 and and later for now three years I have some crazy Ayatollah of reenactment that started to push the pre-war to Reichswehr tunic to M33, 34 modified, modified uh, tunics with um, Hurley, Grey Eagle, and, and, and really to, to, to push this pre-war um, concept to, to, um, to the maximum. And, and that's create a, a new dynamic because um, M36 uniform it's something quite classic but as soon as you start to looking at the tunic uh, 33, 34, 35 including the for the officers the older Reichswehr uh, tunic modified you can get crazy quite quickly <laughs> so sure. that that was really the, the recent involvement uh, no, sorry, improvement of, of, of in terms of uniform and impressions, but um, for small things we 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 improved a lot. Um, the insignia uh, during the first edition there were reproduction. We moved to originals, um, and we we yeah just about the something easy like the Nivea cream or the sunglasses or or your knife, and 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 we started to 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 make things in details and to avoid anything more than on 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 top or or in high altitude because it's a perfect opportunity to have no modern stuff in high altitude and and you create the experience and you create emotions when everything is period and you almost lose you can lose your mind because you're like, uh, am I in, in really in, in, in 2000 something? Um, so yeah, the the switch to the pre-war and also the the, the details um, and what you have in the pockets at the end. I love it. I think that's the best of what reenacting can be. You know, when you really can get an idea that wow, you know, this maybe is what is exactly what it was like. Yeah, and and some guy pushed the. This is a really good dynamic because. Um, I tried to have um, high standards in terms of impression. Not only this, we have all, all other selection criteria, but this is one of them. And and having this international pressure, each participant take a lot of effort to to be just not shiny but realistic. And and, and this is good dynamic. is a positive competition. It's not about competition, but really. You have the pressure to to make things right because you know that okay you're gonna travel for this event but in the same time you have a guy from US or from Russia that's gonna spend time in and money 
to to fly over Switzerland and 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 to take part too to this event. And as coordinator, I've I've also this pressure to make sure that the level is still high because I don't want to have someone disappointed uh, paying. I never had someone from New Zealand, but. Um, paying um, a really expensive ticket and and to be completely disappointed is not an event uh, um, you, you're gonna take part after two hours driving. So it's it's a pressure, but also a positive competition and and improvement. And and we really learn from each other also in terms of uh, of um, um, ideas in in terms of. Uh, um, way to find the right stuff where and and to create international connection once again i had guys from a guy from japan that thinks of projected devices he, he got in contact with uh, participants in germany that were able to ship stuff and it's it's great uh, really uh, nice community that's really cool so what are the events like um, maybe you could describe like a, a classic or a typical Project Edelweiss event, you know, um, for for those of us who really don't know anything other than that you're climbing mountains, you know, what? how does the event work? Um, we can start by the, um, I mean, reconnaissance. This is my, <laughs> almost my, my daily job, my weekly job to find nice places and to, to test them, to test them in, in modern equipment to just climb to evaluate the difficulty and and to identify the place to sleep and 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 the risk so this is really my back office uh, job then we have uh, a period something like eight months to 12 months before the event we open the registrations uh, so we go through a, a selection process uh, mainly related to sportive I mean physical conditions and, and, and the impression and the, the interest for for the GBC Eger topic. And and then we have some communication to, to fine-tune um, uh, impressions and to help the new uh, participants to be onboarded about the, the event because we have always the same uh, questions about sleeping, cold management, security, insurances, uh, Svastika in Switzerland, etc. And um, and then we meet. <laughs> we meet. We have a first um, um, first night all together, just to share some pizza and beer. So it, it looks like more a, a barbecue living history event. And uh, and and then we we have three days uh, hiking uh, up. Uh, most of the time we we sleep uh, both night uh, at the same place. Because it, it takes a, a lot of time to uh, to uh, to to make the bivouac, so um, we we have a tour, but we we sleep in the same same place twice, and um, it's really a mix of uh, hiking, uh, resting time, having also uh, instruction about security, about the way to get roped, and so on. Uh, so this is more about the first day. Um, second day we do still some training and one first attempt to on the ridge or on the difficult part to to test the guys and to see who 
who um, is in good shape, who is not. And and the third, the last day, we early morning, we 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 try to do the the summit with the selected part of the participants uh, based on the two previous days. And at the end, we climb down for a hot shower and a fresh beer and to uh, celebrate all together the the success of the event and the success is not related to making or not the summit the success is related to once again having this experience and and trying our best and sometimes we are stopped by external risk we are stopped by uh, storm or by rain or by just some guys that doesn't feel really good and and we need to to be uh, Solidaire, I will say in French. You guys must have a wonderful uh, feeling at the end. It must be a really great uh, feeling of accomplishment, you know, to w- at the end of the event, you know, and to to be able to congratulate each other on a job well done up there, whether whether you make the summit or not. Yeah, this is it's it's really summit is is just a bonus. It's it's a second uh, objective. Um, just sleeping outside two nights over 3,000 meters, it's, it's already something you can be proud <laughs> of yourself. And, um, sure. and, and this is, for most of the participants, a first experience. And, and, and this year, that was a, quite a crazy edition because we got a, a snowstorm from two afternoon. So we came into the 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 tent, the Zelban, and until five morning, um, and it was like thirty five centimeters of snow outside uh, during um, a month of uh, during July in Switzerland. So for it, it was a crazy night, and 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 some people were scared, some participants were not really comfortable with the situation but once again pain creates souvenirs and experience and and i told them later uh, after the hot shower and the fresh beer that this is just a small taste taste of of what the real gebisiega this time uh during the war uh, experienced and uh, i i i get most of the time the same comment from non-participants like yeah your photos looks good everything is fine but uh, why you don't use weapons why you don't start to do um, um, a wartime event in high altitude and it's like well let's <laughs> let's start the first edition with us um, experience the mountain without weapons and you're going to see that maybe you won't bring your MG42 next time and and, and, and this experience it's, it's really impressive even myself, I'm, I'm used to climb I, I do a lot of sport but spending even one week hiking in high altitude with the full gear and the ammo and, and everything it's, it's, it's a huge challenge and we met I met something yeah, like I saw um, yeah. some photos from this year's event uh, of the night that you're describing or the mor- the next morning with the tent set up in the deep snow that fell overnight. And they're, they're absolutely incredible photos. And I can certainly understand that some of the participants must have uh, felt very alarmed, you know, to be in a, a winter storm like that, even during the summer um, on a, a mountaintop or, you know, or near the top of a mountain, right? At that kind of altitude, it must have been, uh, an incredible experience that most 
people, you know, whether they're reenactors or not, most people will probably never know that experience. So uh, really, really interesting stuff. Yeah, exact. You can really distinguish this experience from reenactment, and and even doing in modern gear a bivouac in this condition, it's it's already an adventure. So, with this period condition, it's even more fantastic. And 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 at the end, the the day after, when you take pictures of faces, you get the right faces, really, and and it 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 creates the difference on on the picture because you you can feel you can see the guy who spent all the night on on rocks with just a, a blanket on it, on him um hoping for not having more snow and and yeah you you can see it on the picture and and when i met the the participants the the day uh, after during the morning it was quite uh, funny also to 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 discover the people because it's only, I mean, this is my opinion, but it's when you face a crisis situation, you really understand the people and you see the real personality of the people. There is no mask anymore. Um, and this creates a, a huge um, esprit de corps, uh, a huge um, team building, I mean, a uh, fast and furious team building. Um, and and this is, is quite good because it's a risk also to have different cultures, um, different participants uh, from all around the world, and, and to try to create a group for three days in high altitude. And, and, and when we face challenges like weather, this team building is really fast. And, and the, 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 it's, it's one of key piece of the receipt to, to have this uh, group identity, even if the people uh, met for the first time. That's incredible. How big is the team? How many people usually participate in these events? So most of the time it's between 22 and 26 participants. Um, for the last uh, four editions. Um, this year I got 50 confirmed participants. So that end up the selection process. So it was like 50 participants for 21, but unfortunately with the, the COVID situation, uh, we had to to cut by, by half uh, because it was really difficult for uh, traveling and, and also uh, the, the uncertainty of, of, the, of the Swiss government decision about uh, you coming from other countries. Um, but yeah, this 50 participants um, was a, a new step um we didn't do it but um hopefully in 2023 we we hope to 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 have this um 50 participants and some people must come year after year must like you said that um you don't have that much turnover so you must have some people who have been doing it now for for several years yeah about 60 percent of the participants uh have done projected advice um at least once before, um, and I've between 35 and 40 percent of, of really new new uh, uh, participants. So yeah, that's that's great, uh, interesting community and and also a friendship that uh, it's a quite strange uh, friendship because I I know for example the Czech team uh, I, I I meet them twice, no once every two years. And every time I see them 
five minutes after it's like a, a, a family party i mean i i'm meeting my my cousin from from czech republic it, it creates really a link this experience in high altitude it's great yeah something that i i wouldn't describe um and that that that's f nice and and the other new participants they can feel that they can see this and 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 they're really happy to to take part now the places where you guys go it's it's public land right yes do you ever encounter other people out there i mean have you ever had any weird uh, interactions with people who are suddenly surprised by a world war ii platoon uh, out there on the slopes surprised yes but always interested and 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 happy to 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 take some some time with us to discuss the the good point or let's say the advantage i don't know if in the us i think in the us it's almost the same thing is the fact that on the ground on on the the land of switzerland we didn't had any uh fight so it's really different to do reenactment in france i don't i don't say about germany but italy or even uh, spain or england even england uh, because there are countries that suffered from from the from the war in Switzerland, people are quite open, and um, I, I never got any bad judgment or or, or negative reaction. Um, and people are more interested about the mountain gear than the the uniform we were wearing. Um, and when we explain, it's it's fine. So we we are quite lucky. I don't know if it's Swiss typical, but I guess in US it's also quite easy because. You didn't have any um, uh, direct fight on, on your land, so uh, it's it's easier to to um, to reenact recent history and and to uh, to explain to the public. Yeah, um, maybe not. The, well, it's that's a that that could be its own one-hour podcast. But uh, what about like? Um, authenticity compromises where for the sake of safety or for whatever other reason um you know what kind of things do you have to allow modern stuff like you guys some of you use uh, modern phones to document the project right or modern cameras i should say exact we have a mix of um original uh, camera and and modern one uh, i tried to limit the modern one um um, I had um, Laurent for two years now coming from Luxembourg which is a professional um, in terms of video so he's normally the one uh, covering the, the event um, and the the rest of modern stuff one is related to bottle of water one plastic bottle of water on, on in, in your rucksack um, this is really in case of emergency if you need water because you can have uh, quickly uh, altitude sickness or or anything, and you, if you need water, and we need to walk uh, or hike uh, one or two hours more to to get uh, uh, water, it's it's it could be really uh, tricky. So, at least one bottle of of one liter of bottle in plastic, which is modern stuff, and uh, a survival blanket uh, in your rucksack as well, um, just in case of. Uh, uh, once again emergency um, so that could be useful for the rest that's it um, I, I I accept having participants uh, taking their mobile phone not for 
pictures, but uh, mainly for um, um, to give news uh, to the families, and, and that's fine, and, and it's normal. I, I, I took part to events in France where mobile phones were completely forbidden to make sure uh, we are in full reenactment during three days, uh, during private events, which is excellent. But in such um, context uh, related to the security, I, I prefer to have uh, the family uh, happy about the communication and, and then the participant uh, free to come and, and to, to come again. Um, so, yeah, there are the some um, deviation related to uh, modern stuff. I think that all sounds really reasonable. Um, how much how much mountain climbing experience do most of the participants have when they come to do Project Edelweiss for the very first time? Are are these mostly people who have had had the opportunity to do climbing before, or or are some of them like brand new to mountaineering? I've a mix. I really a mix, and is not part of the selection uh, criteria. I ask um, the um, applicants to to know about their previous m- level uh, and, and mountain experience, but is 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 not um, is not a blocker. Um, physical condition in general is a blocker. Uh, I got participants from Netherlands, so you can imagine that uh, <laughs> the experience of uh, of mountain was quite limited. And, and they did an excellent job just because they were in good shape. Um, so I, I, I got a mix and, um, and, and for sure I've a lot of um, participants like um, the usual one coming on taking, taking part to, to uh, Alpine clubs in, in Italy, Germany or France. So they are a, a huge help for me to, uh, to, to guide and to manage the, the group. Um, but it's not a huge re- requirement for for us. It's it's also a way to have um, a discovery of the mountain. So as soon as the impression is perfect and you are in a good physical condition, the the, the project is open to you, and and it's a way to learn techniques and 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 to learn how to behave with crampons, how to behave with uh, with the old ice axe, uh, which is not completely the the same with the with the modern gear. Right, so even if somebody has previous mountain experience, there's still a learning curve because the equipment is going to be different. Yeah, totally. And and I can tell for mountain running and also skiing because I also do a ski with uh, equipment of the 30s and, and, and 40s. You, it's like, uh, to, to, to make sure the audience can understand, it's, it's like when you drive an automatic car in US and then you switch to an old car where you need to do the um, the double um, tap with your with your feet. I don't know how to call this. You know, to to double clutch. Exact. We call yeah. it. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's still driving, but it's it's something completely new. You need to to learn something new to drive something old, and it's exactly the same thing. So, um, despite the weight and the technology, um, the 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 techniques of, of, of walking with crampons, handing your ice axe, you need to learn again uh, this stuff, even if you are used to mountain learning experience with modern modern gear, and and that makes the the the, the experience interesting. And I, I started because of this. I I've, I started with 
few summits I, I, I've done um, previously with modern gear and, and after with vintage gear, could be military or, or, or civilian period gear. And yeah, it's, it's like it's not the same mountain you are climbing. The, the experience is really, really totally different. Um, you mentioned the selection process. So people who want to participate in this Project Edelweiss, they have to apply with you um, to see if they are suitable for, for the project? Exact. One year before, we, we share um, a Google um, form in order to uh, share information, but also get um, uh, applicant data, um, mainly related to... Uh, uh, classic data, name, age, um, address, uh, and phone. And then I go through a few questions um, related to mountain experience, uh, sport, and, uh, and your um, reenactment experience. And I always ask a picture just to have, a, just to have um, an idea of, uh, of, of the level of the, of the impression. And, and sometimes people say, well, I, I apply and I, I, I don't have any Gebesiaga stuff for the moment, but it's in two years, so I'm going to work hard. And it works, really. I, I got a few participants that were used to do a late war German army or, or even a completely different impression uh, not related to German army, and, and they really put effort to, to be prepared, and sometimes they are even more prepared than the one um, that um, uh, have for main topic the the german army because when you do always the same stuff you you can start to be lazy and and not improving yourself years after years what percentage of the people that want to do it do you think wind up going on to be to be part of the project in in terms of age it's a mix huh? i got people from uh, 19 to 55 or 56 so the the the, the good thing is this concept of project advice you you can mix the ages and you can mix the units because it's it's, it's a instruction school so um, we don't have to respect this type of um, of um, German army order let's say and or it's still realistic to have um, uh, a Gebesjäger of uh, 40 or 45 years old uh, doing alpine instruction because maybe this guy is in a logistic unit or or in in uh, in um, in administrative unit, but uh, he, he needs to to do this training as well. So this opened the door. Um, instead of having a fighting unit of Gabisiego, where well, you you have to be selective. So um, we don't have discrimination in terms of age. Uh, it's more related to physical condition mainly, um, and this was. The quite difficult and, and tricky or critical topic to, to address for me um, because time to time I have people um, applying for the event and I, I need to explain well based on the picture or the Skype uh, and or the, the, the call we had together I'm, I'm not pretty sure you're gonna enjoy the event and if you come it's gonna be really painful and and I'm saying not not because it's about discrimination but it's also because of security and and is not something like you whatever your physical condition you you can register to a running event and and you put your individual responsibility uh, at risk but here in the mountains you are roped with other participants so i need to make sure that among the rope teams everybody is able to 
to uh, to take action and and to um, and and to, uh, to also to enjoy the the event. So um, yeah, this was um, the only critical point of the selection process for sure. Um, physical condition. That makes sense. I, th- I think it's interesting to think about how you are doing a, re- a reenactment event that is not a reenactment of a battle, but that is sort of a recreation of training. Um, you know, I think that's a really kind of sort of unique um, approach. I mean, I know that there have been other other events, other coordinators have hosted various types of training events, but to have a, an annual event like that on that scale that is not about recreating a combat thing, but rather recreating a training. Um, I think it's really inspirational. You know, I think a lot of times um, as reenactors, we maybe get bogged down in thinking about combat or thinking about equipment, you know, and, and maybe don't spend enough time thinking about the skills that every soldier would have had from the time that he left basic training or the skills that in many cases these people needed to survive. Um, you know, had you had you attended any event before that was sort of a training theme or, you know, what was what was your feelings when you when you started this about that? I I didn't think about this uh, initially um, it was more rational uh, rational uh, it, it might be stupid but or, or simple but it, it was a rational uh, uh, thinking process I told myself okay if we need weapons there's going to be a lot of administrative stuff to, to fix with the local gendarmerie and, and, and the police and so on the local authorities um, in high altitude and also is a question of uh, weight and I was when I started in 2007, I had two years before the first edition of Project Edelweiss to test equipment, uh, paired equipment in the mountains. And I told myself, well, if I shouldn't create a crazy event uh, where people are going to bring weapons and, uh, and, and, and everybody will be exhausted. So um, that was the, the right mix. This training stuff allowed me to mix the units, mix the age. Um, to um, decrease the weight to to carry in order to 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 maximize the chance of success, and and also to to focus or to change the perception of reenactment uh, when you when you speak about German army reenactment or even World War Two reenactment in general, it's mainly mainly related to fighting stuff, and I. I got interested in, in different reenactment group in, in around the world doing something different than fighting units, like uh, logistic stuff or, or um, building a field hospital or doing something a bit crazy, not related directly to, to, to the fight and, and where you can learn stuff because uh, uh, logistic is about tracks. You, I don't know, you learn engine on, on GMC and... And then hospital is about uh, um, medical stuff, and 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 Gebirgsjäger is about alp- alpine stuff, and I I told myself yeah it's 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 a good way, and it creates a bit um, of oxygen, because most of the participants uh, are they are used to um, fighting um, events uh, or public show or private events, but with um, with this fighting approach and and. Uh, and and they are 
somehow happy to to have an event uh, where they don't have to deal with it and 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 they focus about uh, um, this sportive approach and 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 this training and and, and to learn stuff that um, make the difference on the pictures um, depending on I don't know the the way you 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 put your rope on your rock on on your rucksack the way you handle your ice axe. Um, I know if you are just pretending to reenact Gebisjäger, but you have absolutely no clue about mountain, or if you learn it somewhere, could be from your own experience or could be from project advice, and 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 this makes the difference on the pictures later. And I I, I got few feedback from reenactment groups that told me yeah thanks to one or two guys that take part to project advice were able to fine tune. Um, our uh, impression, uh, no, wartime or late war impression of Gabby Sieger, because we didn't know how to handle the, the ice axe on the rucksack. Uh, we didn't know uh, the usage of the rope, and and sometimes we were doing mistakes like using ropes in in condition or in in you know, or, or let's say guys using helmet. If you reenact uh, uh, Gabby Sieger, depending on the place and the year. You, you can forget helmet, um, but if you don't know, if you do not experience it, you 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 cannot know. Yeah, that's really interesting. It must be challenging for your international team to kind of communicate. Are you guys uh, speaking English, or um, you know, how does that work when you're when you're up there on the mountain? Yeah, this is one requirement: is is to uh, to be able to speak or at least understand English. Um, <laughs> as you can hear, I don't have the the best uh, Oxford English, and I have a quite bloody accent with a lot of grammar issue. But um, we can understand each other, and and this is the key point uh, for security reason. Then, depending on 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 the team and the participants, I I, I create rope teams of the same nationality or at least the same language because it works better um, and, and people when there, there is a risk or there is an emergency the first language will that will come is is uh, the, the mother tongue language so I try to, to group people by by um, by uh, nationality for the rope teams but for the entire instruction orders and and, and for the running of the event uh, everything is in English yeah when I think back about reenactment events I've done in the past some of my favorite events that I look back on with the best memories are events where it was really difficult and maybe there was some kind of terrible disaster that happened. You know, not not a disaster like where somebody got hurt, but just something about the weather or um, that plans didn't work out and we had to come up with a new plan. Have you ever had, um, I know obviously you mentioned the storm this year, but like, have you had kind of disasters happen uh, or... Or has it has it been you know how how has it been? Disaster, no. On the medical uh, side, maybe some uh, huge uh, blisters <laughs> to 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 be managed, but nothing nothing bigger. Um, in terms of disaster, I will say always related to the weather. It's the only thing I cannot I cannot control. I can control the 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 hiking way. I can. Due to the reconnaissance, I can anticipate the bivouac place, the difficulty of the way, but whether it's something like a Russian roulette. So uh, I had to 
to lead time to time the the participant through uh, a foggy environment um and i remember in 2015 we went to to a summit with all of the, all of all of the team and uh, it was this time we we got also the the ukrainians and i i i wanted to 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 offer them uh because of their long way uh, beautiful landscape on top and and to have a uh, a great view and and souvenirs but at the end we we go on top of the summit and we there they saw the cross and you were not able to see uh, more than two meters in front of you because of the fog and, and the cloud um but yeah no, no main disaster i'm i'm quite focused on security and uh, i'm mountain is not a game and um, I think all of the participants uh, know it, and it it creates also a, a different uh, dynamic um, in terms of ranks, for example, because of it's a school. You don't trust or you don't uh, follow the the guy with the higher ranks. You follow the guy with the better mountain experience. And it was the case during the the time period of the training, like uh, having. Uh, NCOs um, doing instruction for officers. Um, so yeah, no disaster <laughs> yet. <laughs> That's good. What What is your approach with regard to rank and awards? Do you allow participants to have whatever rank and awards that they choose that's appropriate for their impression or is that something that you kind of assign to people? Yeah, for um, this event, the, the, rank, the rank is open. Uh, but at the end, I end up really with um, realistic people and and uh, and and quite um, uh, serious people uh, that um, want but too many uh, too many stuff on on their uniform. So uh, rank is open because it's a, it's a school. Uh, then about awards, the good point is because it's um, a pre-war event. I'm avoiding any Christmas tree syndrome. So the thing is. Uh, about award, the options are really limited, um, and and the people are the the, the participants are also uh, naturally uh, serious about it. So, it's it's quite fine. I've I've some um, award to thank the participants as the sportive uh, badge or or the the Anschluss ribbon um, to uh, to thank the the, the participants um, after a few years of um, of involvement, but nothing nothing crazy. That's that's genius. You know, I can tell talking to you that you're really passionate about this project and about reenacting. Why do you why do you do it? You know, what what is it for you that makes this so fun and meaningful? Um, I will say just to leave the modern world a few hours or a few days and to live an experience. I, I really used a lot these words like emotions, experience, uh, adventure, but it's something like reconnect you to the nature, reconnect you to the history, and reconnect you to how small you are when you are in the mountain with this vintage gear. And, um, and, and I, I think it's a way to escape modern world a uh, few times um, and to focus about nature yourself and what means to to sleep with someone you have no idea about in the same tent but you are facing a snowstorm and and it creates incredible and unexpected um, 
uh, human relations, and 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 it's something you 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 can difficulty. Um, you won't have the opportunity or, or less opportunity in, let's say, the modern world or the daily life to, to have such a, a connection and, and, and unique moment. It's one of those events you can't really describe it. You sort of have to be there because it just felt so much like you were actually in Normandy. I think that female reenacting is still sort of in its embryonic stage. But I do think that there is room to grow. A lot of reenactors probably had like some sort of burnout maybe from like years past. It sucks, but it was a pretty good pause for everyone to kind of like regroup and like kind of like a really nice refresh to get back out there. The Reenactors Corner, bringing history to life. Well, Bruno, I know we've, uh, I've probably talked your ear off here and uh, we've gone over our time. If people want to contact you, um, to learn more about Project Edelweiss, uh, is there some way that people can get in touch with you? The best place is uh, the Facebook page. Uh, you can write Project Edelweiss and you're going to find it. Uh, this is the best way. And then uh, during the um, uh, selection process, we share uh, a Project Edelweiss mail at gmail.com and uh, some other information through a, a drive, but uh, mainly Facebook, yes. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been really great talking to you, and uh, I, I really like your, your approach. Your event sounds great, and um, I wish you continued success with it. Thank you a lot. I, I tried to, to, to take a coffee before <laughs> because it's almost uh, one morning here. But, uh, yeah, it, it was uh, a great pleasure to, to, to talk to you and, and, and hope to to get in touch and, and also to, to, to share this experience uh, through, through the, your audience. Thank you a lot, Chris, well, thanks for so much. It's, you've, you've got a lot of great insights that are uh, really good food for thought, so I, I'm really glad to have had the opportunity to talk to you. Thank you. Also, and as always, um, special thanks to the people who support us on Patreon. We wouldn't be able to keep this podcast going without your support, and we appreciate it very much. All right, so um, to Bruno and to everybody else out there, uh, stay safe, and I will see you in the field. Before we go, you may want to check out Feller Kopf over at german-worldwar2.com, that is german-ww2.com, where they sell lots of pocket litter and a lot of cool paperwork stuff. And you can get 7% off off of your next purchase there by using the discount code PODCAST2020, that is PODCAST2020, at checkout. Once again, uh, and as always, thanks to Mike, aka Retroman, for editing this podcast. Thanks, Mike.